You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. What's up? In Focus Church. My goodness. Y'all, I have been waiting and waiting and waiting, and I am so hyped to be here. How are y'all doing this morning? Good? Yeah? Passion one day, Shelby Farms. Now, Pastor Brent and Carla did a little bit of of talking, and we were chatting backstage, but um, you see, I actually got my start in ministry as a worship leader, as as, as a worship pastor, and and Passion One Day in Shelby Farms, y'all won't even believe this, but guess who was there alongside of me at Passion One Day Shelby Farms? Pastor Brent and Carla. Y'all, now, we never ran into each other then. We might have. You know, it was a, it was a, it was a big old place. But um, I just want to let y'all know, if I could do it my way, I think I would just bring the worship team back up. And we would just sing one worship song, and then we would be done. And then Pastor Bryant and Carla, we'd just come up, and we would just unpack the theology of that song. And we would just keep doing that until Jesus comes back. Anybody, like, down for that? My goodness. Well, let's pray, and then we're going to get started. Lord, um, we need you. Jesus, we are desperate for you. Holy Spirit, we desire your power and your goodness and your grace in our lives. Lord, I pray that your spirit would permeate this place, that your spirit would invade our hearts, that your spirit would illuminate the text, Lord, God, give us vision and clarity. And I pray that as we dig into your word, that our hearts would come alive in fire and flame with a passion for your name. In your name we pray, amen. Um, So uh, I had an entire sermon set up for, for today. And then on Wednesday, I was like, you know what? We're going to do something different. So, so we're, going to, we're going to flip the script a little bit. And I began to think about our culture. And I began to think and say, you know what? There, we live in a really interesting time. So I want to do a little bit of an experiment with you all. So, so I know that you went from two services to one service. So normally I get two shots at this. But to, this morning we only get one shot. So I need everybody to be hype and active. Can you all do that with me? Yeah? Hands up. All right, cool. Let's do this. Okay, so here's what I need to do. This is what I need you to do. I need you to raise your hand for the thing that you associate with. Okay, raise your hand for the thing that you associate with. Okay, here's the first thing that I want you to associate with. If you're an iPhone person, raise your hand. iPhone, iPhone. Okay, if you're an Android person, raise your hand. Okay, great. Uh, We have a support group in the back. (laughs) They're going to pray for you, and we believe in deliverance. I'm playing, I'm playing, I'm playing. Okay, okay, here's another one. MJ, Michael Jordan, greatest of all time. Raise your hand. All right, okay, okay, okay. All right, oh, look at that. We're so excited. Okay, LeBron James, greatest of all time. We got like three people, okay? Okay, it's cool. We got got a thumbs down, okay? Okay, here's a very important near and dear. This might depend on our friendship. Chicago deep dish pizza. Raise your hand, y'all about Chicago. Okay, New York thin crust pizza. (laughs) 
Oh, my goodness. Oh, let's go. We're going to let's go. Out of everything, nothing, but brought up the pizza. My man over here like, let's go. All right, all right. Chip and Joanna. I'm just kidding. Nobody beats Chip and Joanna. We all have our hands up, right? We all have our hands up for that one. They're, they're the greatest of all time. Now, now, here's what's so intriguing to me. Anybody, like, peek to the right or to the left when the question, like, oh, my, especially if you're a husband and wife duo in here. We know this is about to be real uncomfortable real quick, especially if one is an iPhone and the other is an Android. Ain't nobody want to see the green bubble ever. <laughs> see, here's another thing that we come across, actually. In one way, we all can agree on and associate with this one thing, whether it be an object or a team or a person or an idea. And instantly, like, this is unbelievable. Inside of this room, no matter if you're an MJ fan over here or an MJ fan in the far back corner, y'all were united together. You're of the same mind. Y'all are besties already. Y'all probably never even met before. Now... If you happen to be a LeBron fan, like right here, is he a LeBron fan? No, he's just like, no, don't do this to me right now. I'm about to mess up my whole game for the rest of my life. No, okay, if he was a LeBron, just hypothetically, I got you. Hypothetically, he wouldn't be, but if he was a LeBron fan right here and his boy right next to him was an MJ fan right there and they looked at each other and be like, oh man, we have to read, we have to have the DTR, right? Conversation, define the relationship, because I don't know how this is gonna work anymore. Why? Why is it that all of a sudden division seeps up and disunity seeps up right in that moment when we are of a different mind? So if you are taking notes or you want to write the title of this message, the message is just titled, A Joy That Defies Division. And let me just make a suggestion to you this morning. The division has been plaguing the people of God since the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3. Division has been at the core. It has been one of the key tactics of the enemy in order to create dysfunction and disunity and disruption amongst the people of God since day one. What does this mean? It means the enemy has become quite good at subtly creating division in the hearts and minds of people. I said hearts and minds of people on purpose. You want a definition of division? Here's what I think division is. It's a result of the disunity in the heart and the mind. It's a result of the disunity in the heart. There's a dissonance that takes place. The heart might want one thing, but the mind wants a different thing. Well, well, if that's disunity, well, what is true joy? Here's a definition I want to give you about what true joy is, and then we're going to follow this out through the text in Philippians chapter 4. True joy comes from, catch this, intellectual and theological assurance, confirmed by emotional experience. I don't want us to be a people that are disembodied, that are disenfranchised. I don't want us to be a people who think that we have to be primarily intellectual or a people who think we have to be primarily emotional. God created us holistically with our hearts and our minds meant to work together 
You see, in the Old Testament, this whole idea of the heart and mind being separated or divided is, is, is a foreign concept. The Hebrew word for heart is lab. And the way the Israelites and the ancient Hebrews understood the heart was that the heart was the wellspring of emotion and volition. You catch that? The heart was not disconnected from the mind, but from the heart, the mind are connected and channeled together. What does that mean? It means that disunity is a result of when we don't know rightly, when we don't feel rightly, and when we don't act rightly. I'm going to slow down. I'm getting too excited. When we know rightly, this is the theological word, a theological idea called orthodoxy. It's the mind. We know what ought to be. When we feel rightly, this is called orthopathy, that, that we have the right emotions. And when we know rightly, and when we feel rightly, this creates the momentum and the motivation for us to act rightly. This is orthopraxy. When these three things come together, I believe that you and I can live a life of joy because we have found agreement on something. When we know, when we feel, when we act rightly, we find ourselves living a life of joy. But you see, we didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm gonna make the decision that MJ is better than LeBron. We didn't just wake up one day and say, I'm just going to be an iPhone person or a Samsung person. In fact, I just want a short story. At one point, I got very frustrated with iPhone, very frustrated. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to switch. I'm going to go to Samsung Galaxy Note like 7 or whatever it was, right? I'm, I'm going I'm to be that person. All you iPhone people, just calm down. It's going to be okay. The story redeems itself. <laughs> I, I, take this, I, I take this Samsung home. I'm opening it up. I'm doing like an unboxing video. This is going to be amazing. I'm going I'm to unbox this, this, this uh, Samsung. And I've got a video. My, my son Liam is right there. He was actually recording the video for me. And I'm like, all right, guys, I got the Samsung video. This is going to be so amazing. And I'm trying to open the box. And I can't figure out how to open the box. And my son is like, no, dad. And I smacked his hand on the video. Liam, shh, I'm trying to do a video. I'm trying to, you know, no, and I cannot figure out, he's like, no, dad, I'm like, son, you're about to get grounded, stop, you know, like, and then finally he's like, no, dad, the tab right there, the plastic, I'm like, what plastic tab, he's like, oh, the plastic, you know, I am shocked, since day one of iPhone, Steve Jobs has been teaching us how to open a box, I did not, <laughs> but here's the point, we have been trained towards something. It was a series of small, subtle suggestions that got me to the place where as a grown man, I could not figure out how to open a Samsung box. My goodness. Y'all, we don't just wake up one day and decide that this thing or this issue is gonna be the cause of division amongst our lives. It is almost never just sudden but it's the result of unattended seeds of discord that grow and mature over time. I wanna ask a question for you, and I'm gonna ask that the Holy Spirit brings revelation and enlightenment to us, but what are those seeds in your heart? 
What are those things that are unresolved, that are beginning to create rumblings of chaos and concern? Those things that have the potential to bring down relational walls and to create disunity and destruction in your lives. We don't want to just wake up one day and realize, wow, everything has fallen apart. We want to see the cracks in the foundation as they begin to occur. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 4. You see, Paul, the great apostle, is writing to a church that is located in Philippi. There's another church in Corinth. This is the letter to the Corinthians. Y'all, y'all, Corinth is tore up. <laughs> Corinth is tore up from the floor up. They are in, in total 911. Everything is going wrong. We're, we're calling all law enforcement everywhere, all to them to help them out. They are just tore up. But Philippi, it's a different city. They're in a different situation. But Paul is looking at Philippi and saying, hmm, if certain things are not addressed here, Corinth is just a few months or days or years away. And we don't want Corinth to take place in Philippi. And so, a little background of Philippi. Philippi is a military city. In fact, it was um, almost an unknown, not a great city, until the Roman road came near it, the Via Ignatia. And when the Roman road came near it, it actually connected it to a massive port that was nearby. This is what happens when a massive road that connects the Roman world together, that connects to a port that connects the world together, comes together, it becomes a massive city. A massive city. You see, it was through this city that European, Asian, and African cultures all flowed through Philippi because trade was booming. And in light of all of this, when you read Philippians, you get this general sense that Paul's like, I love y'all. <laughs> y'all, y'all are doing good. You, you kind of got your act together. You kind of remember your first love. But at the same time, Paul will not overlook the seeds of discord that are being placed in the foundation of the church. And he's telling them, y'all, you've got to pay attention. In the midst of all of this booming, all of this growing, all of this cultural diversity, all of this economic prosperity, In the midst of all of this, there was a seedbed of conflict that was arising, and Paul desired to deal with it with intentionality. For Paul, disunity is not a side note. It is the main note. For Paul, he cannot overlook division because division could deal a death blow to the family of God, and so Paul wants to catch these seeds, these Issues before they become a Corinth situation. And so let's start by reading Philippians 4, chapter 1. Therefore, my brothers, in the Greek that can be sisters as well, therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord, my beloved. Now, this is every time that I teach, this happens to me. The therefore is there for a reason. So it would be so easy for us to just be like, all right, therefore, let's just keep moving on. It's just like a a throwaway word. There are no throwaway words in Holy Scripture. Y'all got that? 
The therefore is there for a reason. Why? Go back to chapter 4, verse 20. This is what is connected to the therefore. But our citizenship is in heaven. What? But, but Paul, we're in Philippi. Don't you know that Philippi is booming? <laughs> Don't you know that the economy is killing it? Don't you know that, that we've got all kinds of opportunity here? But our citizenship is in heaven. Catch this. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will, and here's the promise, transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by what? The power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. This is what Paul does here. He says, hey, remember Jesus. Remember Jesus, and why does he talk about this whole transforming of the body from the lowly to, to the glory? Why? Because he's talking about the cross. The people of Philippi, the church in Philippi, could not hear these words in a letter that, were, that was delivered to them and not instantly be reminded of the tragedy of the cross that comes simultaneously with the triumph of the cross. You cannot Y'all, take away the tragedy of the cross. But simultaneously, we can't omit the triumph that comes with the cross. It is a both and, and it is on the cross that Jesus overcomes sin and death through death itself. I heard there was a great message on death that was preached last week. Y'all might want to check that one out. (laughs) Paul says, but remember Jesus And remember that Jesus is the anchor of our hope. Jesus is the anchor of our faith. And it is because of Jesus that you and I, we have a citizenship in heaven. Now, this actually does absolutely create chaos for the church in Philippi. Because you see, they had already, many of them had already gained Roman citizenship in Philippi. We're going to get to this a little bit later. But this is very important for you to hold on to the back of your mind. There is right here the seed of division. How can I be a citizen of this place and yet simultaneously be a citizen of this place? Isn't it conflicting? Paul will get to that. So have this in mind, that that the citizenship that we have in heaven that awaits us because of the goodness of Jesus, therefore, in light of these things, my brothers and sisters whom I love and I long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. He's given all these lovey, dovey words to these people. He must really love them. And then he gets into verse 2, and this is where everything goes crazy. In verse 2 he says, I enjoy entreat Eudea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Hold up, wait a minute. You see, for us in our context, in our culture, we're just like, oh, cool, it's just a couple women, you know. They might be having a little spat over here and it's a little issue. You see, we have to understand something that's taking place, that the letter to the Philippians is a letter that's being read out loud to probably a local church. So I kind of imagine it being something like this. 
bunch of different people <laughs> from different backgrounds and different cultures all sitting together and opening up God's word and all of a sudden there's this amazing letter by one of the main leaders of the church and, and, they're, and they're hearing this letter being read. And here's the way that Paul actually, I think, sets up a sucker punch for Judea and Syntyche because why? In chapter one, Paul's all about unity. So I imagine Judea and Syntyche, they're a little bit of a conflict, so I doubt they're sitting right next to each other in the church, right? <laughs> one's probably in that corner, and one's probably in this corner. And every time Paul's like, and the church needs to be unified, and the church needs to come together, and the, and the church needs to have one mind and one accord, I have a strong suspicion that Syntyche's like, yo, I better, I hope Judea's got her ears open. She need to be listening to this one. Right? Right? And then in chapter 2, he says, reject and flee from relationally sinful and destructive behavior. And I think at that moment, Eudea's over here like, yo, I hope, Syntyche, that she is listening and not on her iPhone looking up Instagram. <laughs> she needs this message for her. Right? Because, I mean, we never do that. We never think this message is for the other person. Right? I want, to, I want us to catch the Greek that actually takes place here. And here's a little background of, of the culture of the time. In the Greco-Roman world, if you wrote to somebody out of frustration or anger, one of the rhetorical features, one of, one of the ways that you would write, you would intentionally speak around the person. But you ain't never naming the person by name. You would never give them that respect. Y'all, this is the original subtweeting. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, it's on Twitter, you're like, uh, that's a conversation that you're absolutely having with somebody else. And now the whole world is invited to it. Now, anybody live in the days of AOL? Raise your hand. We got some AOL, like a few people. You remember the away messages we used to make with some deeply emotional, like, breakup song that we put the lyrics up, dashboard or something, and, and letting everybody, subtweeting. That's what's happening. Ain't nothing new under the sun. This is what Paul would have done if, if he wanted to have a conflict against somebody. He would avoid their names. But what does Paul do? No, he doesn't. He starts in verse 2. He says this, I entreat Judea and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. That The Greek word for entreat is the Greek word parakaleo. It comes from two Greek words, para, which means beside or alongside, and kaleo, which means to plead or to urge. Did you catch this? One, Paul doesn't give room for one to be more at fault or for the other to be more at fault. It would have been easy for him to just say, y'all gals, <laughs> or you, Yudia, and you know who else. No, no, no. He gives the exact same construction of the words for both people. It means that both parties have a role to play in their division, which means that both parties have a role to play in their reconciliation. One can't be over the other. So he says, I parakaleo you. I, I, I am beside you, and I want you all to be beside each other. And I, and I kaleo, I'm, I'm pleading with you. I'm urging you. I'm, I'm calling you to something. Now, here's what I wonder. What is it that Paul calls them to? Right? He says, uh, and, and he says uh, to what? Agree. Now, here's where, if this was Joel, I would be like, yo, Judea and Syntyche, what I need y'all to do is get your act together. 
Whatever the financial issues are going on, figure it out. Whatever emotional issues are going on, figure it out. Whatever social issues are going on, y'all, take care of that. Y'all messing up the game for everybody in here. You're creating chaos for everybody in here. But what does Paul say? (laughs) It's almost shocking. He says, agree on the Lord. Agree in the Lord. Sometimes in our division, in our disunity, we try to address all the different fruit that come out. It's this issue, it's the way that she talked to me, it's, it's about this person's position on this, it's, 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 about, um, it's about where they parked, it's, it's about the car that they're driving, it's about how they're spending money, it's, it's about economic issues, it's about political issues. We're trying to deal with all the fruits of the issues and what does Paul say here? He is pleading and he is begging these two women to for a moment, not that those issues don't matter, but for a moment, orient their hearts and their minds around the one thing that does matter, that is to agree in the Lord. You see, the disunity between these two women tell us a lot. It'd be very, like, it'd be very easy for us to be like, oh, this is a side issue, this is an offshoot issue, this is not a big deal. What I think Paul is actually doing is he's, like I said earlier, he's creating a sucker punch. He's writing this letter intentionally so that he can get to the heart of the issue in Philippians 4. He starts with a pastoral exhortation, not demanding or demeaning. He, he, he gets to this by setting the framework from chapters one through three so that when he gets to chapter four, they could be reinforced with what it means to agree in the Lord. The fact that this might be the central issue in the letter to the Philippians tells us two things about these women I want us to unpack. One, that these were influential women within the local church. This is amazing in the Greco-Roman world. In a patriarchal society, this is amazing. This is mind-blowing. He names two women that we know are probably heads of households inside of that area that have a following, that have prestige, that have power, that have authority, enough so that Paul is concerned about the outcome of what this division could bring between the two. Enough so that Paul senses here in this instance, if it is not dealt with, could become the cancerous situation that goes to this relationship and that relationship and that relationship and that relationship and could take over the entire church of the city of Philippi. This is serious and at the center of this serious issue are these two prominent women. Y'all, their opinion mattered, their conduct mattered, the way they thought and lived mattered. For all of us in this room, we all have a sense of influence to some degree. And if you think you don't have any influence, I want you to reconsider that thought. That has placed you in the positions of your work and vocation, in your family, in your neighborhood, on purpose, with great intentionality. That means that he has given you the influence that is necessary. That also means that you and I, we have a responsibility because our opinions, our words, our thoughts, our actions all matter in the family of God. There's no second class citizen in the family of God. 
we're all welcomed in as sons and daughters into the family, which means the way that we engage and interact with each other is of vital importance. Here's the second thing. Disunity or division is never exclusively individual. It always has communal implications. The lie that, yo, this is just between us, or, uh, or, or nothing, like, <laughs> nothing is ever just between us. My wife is here, and we have a rule that I'm supposed to ask her permission before I use any stories uh, of our family. I am, didn't ask her, we did a, a, a drive, and so, babe, I'm, oh, she's gone, she's not even in here. Right? Said, Boys, remember, we're not saying anything to anybody, right? No, I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. We'll tell her when she gets back. You, you see, and my boys can, can, can admit this, when my wife and I get into a heated discussion, we'll call it that, we think it's like just us, like they don't, they don't understand, they don't, oh no, 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 they know everything that's happening. They understand the situation, they understand the context, they understand that there's some sense of conflict. Disunity is never just between you and I. Disunity and division, it always impacts the relationships around us. If this is the case, isn't it all the more important for you and I to care deeply about the things that unite us over the things that divide us? If this is the case, isn't it even more important for us to fight for the joy that God has in store for us? If this is the case, shouldn't we live out of that place? And then Paul gets to Verse three, I think this is intriguing. He says, yes, I ask you also, true companion. If you highlight or do any kind of note-taking there, I just want you to underline that, true companion. And he says this, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Why do these women matter? Like I just said, yo, they worked with Paul. They cried with Paul. They built with Paul. They, they did ministry with Paul. They loved the Lord Jesus with Paul. These women matter because they matter to Paul. And here's Paul fighting so hard, and then he does this. He says, by the way, true companion. Now, there's a massive scholarly debate today on who this true companion is, right? Uh, massive. Some people think it could be the Roman jailer from Acts chapter 16, some people think that it's uh, one of the husbands of the two women. I think this scholar probably is not married because they know they ain't never happening, right? <laughs> Some people think this is Epaphroditus who is supposed to give the letter to the church in Philippi. That's an intriguing idea. Some people think this could be Lydia, the, the, the wealthy woman who is the patron of the church. That's an intriguing idea. The bottom line is, ain't nobody know who this true companion is. And here's what I think. I think that's on purpose. I think Paul doesn't want us to know. I think that Paul's saying it doesn't matter the name of the person. It matters about the quality of the person. It doesn't matter about the status of the person. It matters about the heart of the person. It doesn't matter about what the person can do or how, how they, can, they can execute all these different things. What matters is the love that this person has for these two women that are at each other's throats. The name of the person doesn't matter. The character and the substance of their character matters. At this point, I want y'all to just write true companion. If you're taking notes, write true companion. 
and I want you to write an equal sign, and I want you to write your name right there. Some of us might be in the midst of a divisive relationship, but I think all of us at some point have watched on the side as people that we love and care about go to each other's throats. Could it be that God has in some beautiful and mysterious way placed you with appropriate relationship, with appropriate insight to be a voice of biblical, loving reason in that situation? What an incredible opportunity for us to aid not in the division of things, but in the unification of things. Isn't that what Jesus did on the cross? Ephesians chapter two, that the dividing wall of hostility is torn down and in Christ one new humanity is made. The foreigners and and the Gentiles and those that were once far off because of the promise made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, 15, 18, and 22 could come to fulfillment in Christ the Messiah. That those that were once at enmity and fighting each other could now call each other brothers and sisters. The unifying work of Jesus is the inheritance that you and I received. We have been given that great opportunity. Now, how do we do this? You're like, Joel, this all sounds real great. This sounds great at that 30,000-foot level, but how in the world do we actually do this? Well, Paul says it. We learn to agree on the Lord. The, the Greek word for agree is phreneo. It means to set one's mind onto something. This has been a consistent theme throughout Philippians. Philippians 2.2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love. Uh, Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. 3.15, let those of you who are mature think this way, and if anything, you think otherwise, God will reveal this way to you. So let me give you just four ways that you and I can agree on the Lord. Here's number one, we think on the same things. You and I think on the same things. Part of thinking like Christ is to choose to reject the ways the world demands us to think. Think the way that Christ thinks. One of my favorite scholars, G.K. Beale, once said, what we revere, we reflect, either to our ruin or to our restoration. You see, where our mind focuses on, our mind fixates on. What is your mind focused on? Number two, we pursue the attitude of Christ. We just talked about, what is the attitude of Christ? In humility, (laughs) in the incarnation. God himself took on human flesh and entered into human story. Like, like that is in- incredible. What is the attitude of Christ? We want to reflect the attitude of Christ. We submit our opinions to Christ. Thinking rightly and feeling rightly will produce right opinions that are reflective of Christ's desires and wishes. We are intent on the same goal, number four. We're intent on the same goal. If we all have different goals and different visions and different ideal outcomes, we'll all run in all kinds of different places. What is the goal? I want to summarize the goal of the biblical story. The goal is the reunion of God's family. From Genesis chapter 3 till Jesus hangs on a cross and conquers sin and death and, and ascends into heaven at the right hand of the Father, 
the impetus, the goal, has been a reunion of a family that was once divided. See, this does something else. It actually exposes two different patterns, a world pattern and Christ's pattern. Here's how I would describe the world pattern. You do you, boo. Am I right or wrong? Right? Like, like, you do you, boo. You think what you want to think. Yo, you have the attitude that makes you happy and you confident. Hey, by no means don't ever submit to no one. That's a sign of weakness. Nah, their goal don't matter and their goal don't matter. Your goal matters. It's like BK, have it your way. You see, what Paul pleads, what he calls us to, is to one identify these anti-Jesus patterns. Number two, to renounce and reject these patterns. And number three, that we remember that you and I are citizens of a kingdom. If you and I are citizens of a kingdom, then our actions and our thoughts and our feelings should be patterned after the king. Yeah. Let, me just give, let me just work this logic out for you. If your actions and your thoughts and your patterns are not patterned after a king, the king, then they're patterned after yourself, well then who is the king? Use the king. And I'm just letting you know, in every story, in every human history, in, in every culture, in every nation, from the beginning of time, there can never be two kings at the same time. It will never work. You know why? Because one is the true king, the other is a false king. One is a true king, the other is a king that's trying to create a rebellion. Y'all, we do not want to go head to head with the king of kings who created the world through his breath, who sustains the world through his life and being. Then he gets to 4.3. He says in the last section, whose names are in the book of life. This is the, the immense grace of Paul. He says, I'm not giving you an abstract reason to pursue this. I'm giving you a definitive reason to pursue this. Why? Because Judea and Syntyche and True Companion and Clement and Philippian Jailer and, and all these people, all of y'all, if you have submitted yourself to the kingship of Jesus, you're a part of the family of God. What does that mean? That your name is written in the book of life. It is a future reality that should impact our present day. It is a future promise that should motivate our present steps. This is what Paul does for us. And what he does is he, he actually identifies a sad imbalance that is in our lives. I don't know if anybody relates to this. I wrote this the other day. Some of us are so fixated on the future that we're letting the beauty of the present fade away into oblivion. Some of us are so inundated with the present that we've been robbed of the hope and the possibility of the future. Some of us are so captivated by the past that we've neglected our responsibilities for the present that in turn cripples our possibility for the future. Imbalance. You see, times and seasons, discernment and balance, trust and reliance, the path forward is the path of Jesus. 
Jesus appoints our times and seasons. Jesus grants us discernment and enables us to live with appropriate balance. Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy and whom we can rely on. If you put your mind, if you agree on Jesus, you can live a life of joy. I want to go back to this idea of the crown. This is how he started. He said of the Philippians in chapter 4, 1, he said that um, uh, I loved you. He says, you're, you're my joy and my crown. You see, a crown around this time was a symbol of status, of honor, of victory. It's a universal sign. Ain't nobody have a crown and leave it in their dresser on their way out. It's not going to happen. What, what do you do with crowns? You wear them. This is so immense. This is what Paul says to them. He says the image of the crown that Paul wears, that he exalts over, that he is so excited about this image, check this, is the joy and unity of the church. I wonder what happens when disunity pervades a church. I wonder what happens when joy is robbed and leaks out of a church. I wonder what happens when we begin to agree on all of the things except the one thing that we are to agree on. And then this is how he ends. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Twice he says rejoice. There is an ancient uh, African grammarian around 355 AD, a guy named Marius Victorinus, and this is what he says. For when you are joined in heart, you rejoice in the Lord. And when you rejoice in the Lord, you're joined in heart and stand together in the Lord. Okay, I know what you feel like. This is like a riddle. <laughs> what in the world is he saying? This is what I think he's saying. One of the ways that you and I join in heart with others is through rejoicing in the Lord together. This is what happens at church. This is what happens at In Focus when we gather together. We join our hearts together. We rejoice together. But simultaneously, check this out, when we are joined in heart together, it can't help us but lead us to rejoice in the Lord. Do you see how those two things are intricately connected? We can't have one without the other. So how do you and I have a joy that defies division? And y'all, I'm just letting you know right now that this ancient tactic of the enemy ain't slowing down. It's just ramping up, and, and gasoline is being thrown on this bad boy like I've never seen it before. Can I plead with you? Can I parakaleo with you in the same way that Paul does to come alongside of each other, to plead with each other to first and foremost find your agreement together on King Jesus. Set your mind on Jesus and allow Jesus to be the one who brings unity to your hearts and to your minds and to your lives and to your relationships and to the church, both local and universal. You see, joy can be seen in, the action, in action through the life and quality of a church. This is vitally important because the church is the missional witness. It is an outpost of the future kingdom of God. Why in the world would a broken, dysfunctional, 
destructive culture world want anything to do with the church that is at each other's throat? Why would I want this when I already got this out here? But these people say they rally around the risen King Jesus and they're still acting a fool. Like, how? How How is this supposed to work? Can I just plead with you to allow your hearts and minds to be fixated on King Jesus? I want to end by reading Philippians 4, 8 through 9. I don't want to end with my words. I just want to end with Paul's words. This is how he summarizes the situation to this church in Philippi. I think this is how he would summarize this time with all of us together. I I think these are probably some of the most heartfelt, emotional, mindful, and intellectual words that Paul pens to this dear church that he loves and the people inside of the church that he loves. This is what Paul's saying. Like, I want you to know that you can experience joy when ultimately you realize that God is in control. And so this is what he says, Philippians 4, 8 9. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, what is true? Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, check this out. Think about these things, mind. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, check the second one, practice these things. And then what will happen? The God of peace will be with you. Think on these things. But y'all, don't just think about them and then let them fly by. Practice them. Live them. Breathe them. Feel them. Allow it to be the natural rhythm of your life. Set your heart and mind on King Jesus and trust him because he is worthy. He's the only one worthy of our trust. Let's pray. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.